Amen. Thank you, Eric. And we are so grateful uh, for those that have stood in the gap and secured, fought for, and secured our freedom as a nation. And um, I know that there's a, a lot of different news reports out there these days and a lot of different opinions But it's an indisputable fact, no matter what you might hear, that this is the greatest nation that has ever existed in many, many ways. And so we're very grateful to be a part of this era, the United States of America. And um, we missed it last year, but I have employed Kevin Warren to give a little testimony on behalf of Memorial Day to remember those that have served us. And so after the message today, Kevin's going to come forward and share uh, to that end. But right now we are in the book of 2 Corinthians. And you might remember last year, it was in January in 2020. Sorry, I got to stretch this out. Um, we finished the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. I think we spent about, I say we, but me, but you, were, you, you endured 110 sermons <clears throat> on the book of Matthew. And, but, but Matthew ends his gospel with Jesus' command of the Great Commission. And so we just camped there for a little while to, because the Great Commission and saving the lost and reaching the lost in this age of salvation, that's what's on God's heart. I mean, th- those are the last words that Jesus said before he ascended into heaven. And he said them to his disciples, so that's us. And so we camped there for a little while to to savor in the words of Christ and hopefully to, uh, I guess, put our minds, our thinking under that so that we can share the same heart that God has for the lost, so that we can can rearrange our thinking and our, our actions and our lifestyles, our goals and our ambitions in life to line up with what God is doing in the world. So we completed the book of Matthew with the Great Commission and then went into the book of 2 Corinthians. And we, I think I made it into, well, I know I made it into chapter 2, a little bit into chapter 2. And then we came to a halt because of COVID. So we had this kind of momentum going with the idea of saving the lost, with the idea of the good shepherd, God still seeking after and saving his sheep. And that's the mindset. But that was kind of brought to a halt with COVID. And rather than plodding through or pressing through the book, I decided I'm just going to stop it and I'll pick it back up when, when things get back a, a little bit more to normal because I feel like this book is important to us as a whole body and we couldn't all be together. But I think most of us are back together now. And I know that some are still joining us online um, on Sundays. But I think now is the time to get back into this book of Second. Corinthians. And that would include a, a theme or a desire to know the heart of God as he thinks about and, and enacts the, the uh, activity of drawing people to himself and using his body of Christ, his disciples, as his servants to do this. We closed that, um, I think, the book of Matthew with a testimony from one of the guests at Restoration Farm. Many of you knew him, the Vang family. And Josh Hill, who's not here, who graduated yesterday, yesterday by the way, he made it. Another one made it. So, uh, I, we, Lisa and I, and some of you were at that graduation. And I just got to tell you, 
Like school was not my thing. And I'm at this graduation. And I know I'm still feeling like this relief. That I don't have to do school anymore. You know, I'm in my 50s. And just to, I'm rejoicing with them. So that's because for me, it was hard. It just, I didn't really care about it. It was hard. And who wants to work for anything, right? I mean, it should just come natural. So I just was like, felt this great sense of relief for these graduates. It was a good, short-lived experience. So we had, um, Josh Hill did a, like a 15-minute video of Pal Vang's testimony. And he talked about how the gospel came to his remote village and how God gripped his heart, not only drew him into salvation, but gripped his heart to reach the unreached, to bring the gospel to other peoples and other villages. And it was a powerful testimony. So we kind of ended, I think, with a lot of inspiration and a lot of desire to engage in the Great Commission. So then we're in the book of 2 Corinthians. So 2 Corinthians, I'm going to reintroduce it to you this morning. It's a very unique letter, actually. But I, as I read through it, I've chosen the theme of reconciling the world. Because I think, though Paul talks about a lot of different things in this book, honestly, there really is no one theme, and, and we'll look at that here in a few minutes. But as, you, as he shares his heart in this letter, this, his heart for the lost really comes out. And his understanding of what God is doing in this age of salvation. The reason he does what he does is because of what God desires him to do. And that is to preach the gospel, to live the gospel, and to sanctify those, to build those up that are in the faith. So that comes out of his heart. And I hope that that's what we glean, among other things in this book, is this desire of understanding God's desire to reconcile the world to himself. So let me read just one passage. Um, and there's, there's others in this book, but here's the main passage that I want to look at. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 18 through 20. We'll get there one day. Chapter 5. So here's what the Apostle Paul says to this group of believers in Corinth. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So Paul tells us in this in these few verses, what God is doing. This is what God is up to in the world. You ever wondered why things are the way they are? Well, God is up to reconciling this broken, cursed, fallen, sinful world to himself so that we have this pure and whole and healthy relationship with God as opposed to a broken and a rebellious and an obstinate relationship with God. But it's, and the way that God is doing this great work is through those that he has reconciled to himself. That would be us. And so we have this ministry in the world of reconciliation. Now we are the ones that God has 
enlightened with the truth. We know the gospel. We know that the good news is actually good news. And the idea that someone can be forgiven in this this door of grace, this pathway of grace to heaven during the age of salvation is phenomenal. So this is what is on Paul's heart. He is imploring people to be reconciled to God. And God, in a sense, is calling us to be reminded of the ministry that he has given us. The simple ministry of reaching out to others and imploring them. Look, God sent his son. God is drawing you. God is willing to forgive you and set your feet on his path. So that's world missions. And I'll be honest with you, I think as I think about this passage, I don't know that we can really understand why things happen in the world and in our lives unless we understand what God is doing in the world and in our lives. So if this is true, that God's reconciling and he's using us to do that, well, I think what this means is that when we wonder, well, why, why did this family move next to us in this house that was for sale? Or well, why am I working with this particular person at work and spending so much time with them? No, why are things happening the way they do in my life? Or why did I break down here? Or why did I vacation here? Or why did I visit this church here? How did I have this opportunity with my cousin? All these different things that we scratch our heads about and wonder, well, God, what are you doing? Somehow it fits into what he's doing regarding employing us as reconcilers, as those that would share the good news. And so I think this passage is important because it helps us just understand all the mess that's going in the world. In some way, this is fitting into God's heart to draw nations to himself. In the end, it will become clear. And we'll have those, those aha moments. How many of those moments will we have in heaven? Like, oh, now, yeah, now I see. It was so unclear when I lived through it. But thank God for his heart. It was God's heart that even in our darkness and our confusion and our obstinance, he reached in and saved us and grabbed our heart and brought us up to himself. He's an amazing God, and he has made us bearers of this good news. Now, this book, this letter, is a unique letter. Most of the letters that the Apostle Paul writes to the church, there are specific things. There's, there are doctrinal themes or behavioral issues that need to be addressed or false teachers. This has a little bit of everything, but there's not one common theme in it. But what we, we, what we, find, we find in this letter, unlike any other in the New Testament that the Apostle Paul wrote, is Paul shares his heart. He gives a lot of personal testimony. He talks about his emotions. He talks about how hard life has been. Yes, even serving God and bearing the good news, it's been hard. It's been, I mean, he's defied death on several occasions. And in sharing his heart... What he was thinking as he was going through the path that he followed, as he was trying his, his best to obey the Lord, as he shares his heart, we learn from him how to be a disciple of God. 
Paul does something in this letter that he's really uncomfortable with doing. And that is because he's a humble guy. He, he, he doesn't like to talk about himself much unless there's a specific purpose. But in this book, he talks about himself, his sufferings. He talks about those that are trying to undermine his authority because he's an apostle. We'll talk about that in a little bit. His apostleship was constantly being challenged, though he was called by God. So I want you to know that I can't say with great confidence that the main message of this book is reconciling the world. That's something that I have seen in it, and it's in there, and we're, we're going to pick it out. We're going we're to flesh it out um, because Paul talks about other things. But there is no main message in this book. So I believe that God would have us to approach it with that mindset. John MacArthur says... The approach of this letter is not historical, it's not theological, it's not even ecclesiological. The approach is biographical. It just opens him up, talking about the Apostle Paul. It opens him up and we see what the inside of a devoted man of God looks like. Unlike so many of his other letters, it doesn't present systematic ordered arguments. It doesn't even present doctrine as such, although it alludes to it everywhere, but it gives us passion. It gives us the heart of the man his ex- and his experience with his personal God. So we want to capitalize. I think this is a, a unique letter and it's a unique opportunity to capitalize and hear Paul's heart from a different angle. So that we can be the kind of disciple that God is calling us to be. One writer says... Uh, It's a cross-section. This letter is a cross-section of a genuine Christian. If you could take a genuine Christian, just cut him down the middle and look at the cross-section on a spiritual x-ray, this is what you'd see. So, Because it's Paul bearing his soul. This is a man that's gripped by God, devoted to God. He's willing to go the extra mile and then another extra mile. And we get to see the inner workings of that. And as he shares his heart, he disciples us. One more quote from John MacArthur. So it teaches us much. You'll not be the same after studying this book. It will transform your life. But it will not teach you by precept and not by law and not by principle and not by reasoned argument. It will teach you by example. This epistle will mentor you. It will disciple you as you see Paul revealed. So I'm excited with that, those words, because we came into this book on the heels of the Great Commission, which was to go and make disciples of all nations. And so this is what we need to be about, uh, being and going, uh, challenging ourselves. What, What am I most consumed with in life these days? Is it anything close to what God cares so deeply about? It's so easy to get caught up and distracted in things of the world and forget the mission of God. And I pray that this book would call us back into the heart of God. You know, everything about our culture, it, it, we're, we're trained to think so inwardly, to be so self-focused. And yet everything about the gospel is other-centered. It's all about Giving yourself for others. So this is countercultural stuff. This is going to teach us not to wake up in the morning 
with our set plan that has to go our way. But I hope to wake up in the morning being with our plan. Man makes the plans, but God directs the steps. God, how will you use me today to reconcile the world through Christ? So I'm excited to pick this book back up. And I I really hope that as we go through it together, it will draw us back together one as one body in spirit and unity. And we'll have this one mindset about God's mission. So we did five sermons already. This is sermon six. It's I'm basically reintroducing the book to you. We'll do one more sermon where I'll go back and actually cover all the ground that we covered in just one sermon, purposely leaving some things out. But it's important for us to understand Paul's heart. We need to uh, learn a little bit about the church. And who's he writing to? What are these people like? Why would he say that to these people? So that we can understand the words to come. And we can understand what Paul was thinking as he wrote these words. So let's look at the context. You know, the context is the, the, the who, the what, the where, the when. What's going on with this church of Corinth? And what's going on with Paul as he talks a little bit about everything in this? We learn that Paul actually, you know, we get this book and we need to understand as we read this letter in these words, Paul had a personal relationship with this church and the people in it. Uh, he, when he planted the church on his, one of his missionary trips before he wrote this letter, this is the second letter, he stayed there with them for about a year and a half. So he preached the gospel, some gave their life to Christ, and a church was birthed right there in Corinth in this city. So he knows them. And he, they have written back and forth. They wrote letters to Paul too. Paul wrote letters back. These are the ones that we have in God's word. So it was a close relationship. He really cared for them. They leaned on him for advice, for counsel, for instruction. You know, what do we do with this situation? And boy, did they have some doozy of situations going on in this church. Paul shares his heart with them. Here's one of the contexts of this letter. He had just, before he wrote this, he had just come away from a very life-threatening situation. So he says in verse 8, We don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. So Paul cares for them, but he wants them to know, look, this is what I've been dealing with in my life. And I didn't think I was going to make it. I didn't see light at the end of the tunnel. That's where Paul was. That's the context of this. Now he lived to talk about it, and he's going to share that with us later on. His apostleship was constantly being challenged because he was considered like a Johnny come lately. You know, you had the ones that Christ personally picked out and that walked with him. But then Paul came later. And so some of the people didn't want to respect his, his authority. So he was constantly having to reassert that. And that's one of the reasons he would talk about himself. But he basically say, look, look, I worked harder than all of them. I suffered more than all of them. I went farther than all of them to... Share the gospel. I'm the real thing. 
I've performed miracles like the rest of the apostles. So he's going to establish himself in this book as an authority. And you can imagine, if you are in any position of authority, how, how distracting or annoying and depleting it can be when people are like, you're there and that's your position, that's your job, and people are constantly challenging it. It is just not fun at all because you want to get on with this. Paul feels the weight, the responsibility of the burdens of all the churches that he's planted and the people there, the situations that he's aware of, people that just get physically sick. He knows about immorality that happens and the challenges of sin and false teaching. But Paul, as troublesome as the Corinthian church was to him with all their issues, he just loves them. It's amazing to me that Problem after problem, he does not grow bitter. I mean, love just oozes out. He just wants them to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. In this book, you're going to find that he has also sent some of his best helpers. Titus, his good friend, Titus, brother in the Lord. He sent him to help the Corinthians work through some issues. So he cares about them. He's writing letters. He's sending servants there to help get things straight, to draw them to Christ. And they faced, the Corinthians also faced their share of suffering as well because they pulled away from the world and decided, I'm going to live for Christ. So another thing to keep in mind there that Paul spent a lot of time here. So in this letter, I'm going to quote A.A. Hodge. And what you're going to find is Paul gets stern when he needs to get stern about issues. But he also speaks with such love and tenderness. So A.A. Hodge says, The Corinthians had received his former letter with a proper spirit. It brought them to repentance, led them to excommunicate the incestuous person, and call forth on part of the larger portion of the congregation the manifestation of the warmest affections of the Apostle Paul as he relived this, the relationships that he had with them in his Mind, So he's filled with gratitude for them. On the other hand, the increased boldness and influence of the false teachers, the perverting errors which they inculcated, and uh, the frivolities, charges which they brought against himself, filled him with indignation. So this accounts for the abrupt transitions from one subject to another. The sudden changes of tone that we'll read about when we go through this letter. When writing to the Corinthians as a church, obedient, affectionate, and patient, there's no limit to his tenderness and love. His great desire seems to be to heal the temporary breach which had occurred between them and to assure his readers that all was forgiven and forgotten and that his heart was entirely theirs. But when he turns to the wicked, designing corruptors of the truth among them, there's a tone of severity to be found in no other of his writings not even the epistle to the Galatians. And though perhaps the least methodical of Paul's writings, it is among the most interesting of his letters as bringing out the man before the reader and revealing his intimate relations to the people for whom he he labored. So these are the kind of things that we can expect. We need to understand the writer Paul, what's going on in his heart, why he would say these things. And also the church. 
the church at Corinth. So we hear things in our day and time. Different churches are characterized by different ther- by different things. You know, I'm aware of different churches in our community and the surrounding communities, and I think that they have you know different characteristics. Some are stronger in this or weaker in this, or you know, we, we have reputations. Well, the church at Corinth has been likened to kind of a modern day Hollywood uh, atmosphere. It was in a very strategic kind of geopolitical place where people that wanted to get anywhere in that region around the Mediterranean, they, they had to kind of go through Corinth because it saved them so much. It saved them about 250 miles around in their travels. So they would go through this city. So it was a city kind of like Hollywood or New York where there's a lot of different nationalities there. There's Jews, some Jews, there's Greeks, there's Romans and people from uh, the Near East. And with that, you get all different kind of cultures. You get all different kind of faiths and beliefs. So that's Corinth. And there was a lot of immoral behavior there. Um, you know, some cities, even in our nation, there are cities that have reputations. For, if you want to get uh, murdered, live in this city because they've got the highest murder rate. Well, this city over here, the murder rate is very low. And they, there's just all these different statistics that we have. Statistically speaking... Corinth was just a place of tremendous immorality. And it had a reputation for prostitution as well. It's just amazing to me that God takes places like this and he plants a church. And he saves souls. And he begins to work in holiness. And he begins to transform hearts and minds to understand his laws and his truth. And Peter and people start to treat each other with kindness and learn to forgive each other and learn what's right and wrong and learn to respect each other. So that's what's going on in this place. But you can imagine the temptations that the Christians in this church had to endure. And Paul will talk about many of those in this letter as well. So with his passion. With his call. You'll remember in Acts when God called Paul to preach the gospel. He blinded his eyes, but he opened the eyes of his heart to the truth. And from the very beginning, if you can imagine having this kind of calling, the Lord said, I'm going to show him. I have a specific calling for him. He's going to go to not just the Jews, but also the Gentiles and bring my gospel And he'll know what it's like to suffer for the name of Christ. So from the very beginning of his calling, can you imagine if Christ said, I I save you, I bring you into the kingdom, and I have great works for you to do, and boy, are you going to suffer. But yet he, he was so grateful for God's saving grace, he embraced every bit of it. It didn't stop him. It didn't hold him back. And not just from the physical suffering, but he suffered you know, spiritually and mentally. If you think about all of the burdens that he carried in his heart from all these people in the churches and the problem. And he felt partially responsible for that because that's his mission and that's his task. What a calling he had and what a man he is. And I'm so grateful for this letter where he, kind of, he just opens his heart to us. So let me close with this quote from John MacArthur. 
He says, no matter how hard the work of a messenger of Christ might be, no matter how trying and troublesome the fellowship of the church might be, no matter how weak and sinful the people might be, no matter how much turmoil and distress comes and goes, we are called to be faithful and to give all we have in the service of Christ. And that's what you're going to see in this letter from the heart. Remembering that our God and His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, has given us the richness of the promise that the work that we do is His. The people we serve are His. And the strength we need is His. And the glory in the end belongs to Him. So we are in this age where God is still gathering sheep. That's what we want to immerse ourselves in. And pray that God would help us to see what God sees. And pray that God would help us to love and find joy in what God finds joy in this age of salvation. May God bless the preaching of His Word.